Okay, we've got chilling new details which have emerged in the assassination of that Iranian nuclear scientist. And clearly everyone agrees that it was the Mossad, as we suspected. 62 people were involved in the operation. According to leaks from the Iranian regime, 62 people involved, including 12 operatives on the ground who actually took out the scientist. And it was apparently this thing was executed flawlessly. And yet again, the Mossad does the world a favor, doesn't get any thank you, because of course, no other country could possibly pull this off. And by the way, uh, you know, we were reminded by many news agencies, Bibi Netanyahu actually threatened this scientist two years ago by name. I mean, this sends chills down your spine. Remember that blockbuster press conference, which we told, we reported on uh, the day that it happened a couple of years ago. Netanyahu literally exposed, they stole, the Mossad had seized, had taken 100,000, 100,000 files of the Iran's, of Iran's secret nuclear weapons program, which was supposed to have been totally obsolete, but of course it was not. And he actually named this, he mentioned this scientist by name at that press conference when the world was watching. He said, remember the name Mohsen Fakhrizadeh, and now here we are, and the Mossad has targeted that exact scientist. And Netanyahu, when he divulged the 100,000 files obtained from Iran's secret nuclear archives, he said Fakhrizadeh was the mastermind of the program, and sure enough, here we are. And his words have come true. I mean, it is eerie. Now, the latest, we have coming up the latest on the election lawsuits. And by the way, at the end of the show, I'm going to read you excerpts from an op-ed which show how statistically improbable it is that Joe Biden actually won the election, that Joe Biden actually did not steal the election. If you look at all the data, if you compare this to past elections, I mean, highly, highly unlikely. All right, so John Brennan, he says that the killing of Fakhrizada, the Iranian scientist, was a criminal act. Yes, John Brennan, no, John Brennan, the Obama, former Obama CIA director who d- despises President Trump, he says that this was a reckless criminal act. Yes, John Brennan, the same man who denied spying on Trump, even though we know for a fact that Trump was spied on, his campaign was spied on. John Brennan, he says, this wonderful act of protecting the world from this dangerous, evil, horrific monster. This was a rec- reckless act. In a uh, in a tweet, Brennan wrote, quote, this was a criminal act, highly reckless. It risks lethal retaliation and a new round of regional conflict. Iranian leaders would be wise to wait for the return of responsible American leadership and to resist the urge to respond against perceived culprits. So Brennan, he's worried. You see, if the Iranians retaliate, that actually is a very good thing because that would make it much more difficult. This is what the Democrats are all worried about, is that uh, if the Iranians retaliate, we get into a major conflict with Iran, then Biden would not be able to rejoin rejoin the Obama bogus Iran nuclear deal as he keeps promising to do. What's incredible about this assassination is it happened on Iranian soil. So this is unlike Soleimani, which remember that assassination, which was done by the Americans on a strike that was done in Iraq. But here, the Israelis have clearly infiltrated Iran more deeply 
they are so deeply embedded in Iran, more than we could have ever imagined. Now, so let me tell you some of the details that are being reported according to news outlets. As I said, a highly sophisticated operation, 62 people involved. This is according to Iranian journalist Mohammad Awazi, who apparently discovered this through leaks of senior Iranian officials. So this is reported. Some of this was reported in the AP. This has been uh, picked up by a lot of mainstream news outlets. Now, I want to be clear that the Iranian, I don't want to confuse this with Iranian state-controlled media. The Iranian state-controlled media, they're denying this whole story. They're saying it was just an, a weapon that was being operated by remote control. But here are the details, again, according to numerous news outlets, and it comes, as I said, from this Iranian journalist, 12 team members who were highly trained and assisted by intelligence services abroad. They were stationed in the city known as Absard, which is 80 kilometers east of Tehran. So Fakhrizadeh, he had a second home in the city Absard. There were 12 assassins on the ground, and 50 people took place in providing logistical support. And the team was aware Fakhrizada was planning to drive from Tehran to his second home in Abbasard on Friday. So they waited at a traffic circle. There's a traffic circle at a boulevard that enters the city. And then when Fakhrizada's car entered the traffic circle, two snipers, four motorcycles, and one car with four passengers were waiting to ambush him. And there was a Nissan pickup that was booby-trapped with explosives just sitting there. So what happened was... And by the way, the electricity in the area was cut off, which was very important, as we'll get to in a moment. So what happened was there's a three-car convoy. This man, he wasn't just driving along by himself in a car. He was he, he had this three-car convoy, and it was bulletproof glass uh, uh, surrounding these cars. This car, These cars, uh, their windshields and windows were made of bulletproof glass. So, I mean, this man was well-protected. But as they were passing by this convoy, the Nissan exploded with massive force. Debris was, was blown at least 300 meters away. So then at that point, the 12 assassins, including two snipers, shot at the middle car, and that's the one that had Fakhrizada inside. The gunmen with the hit squad opened fire on all three cars, and that initiated a firefight with Fakhrizada's bodyguards. And uh, according to the Iranian leaks, the leader of the assassination team actually removed Fakhrizada from the car, made sure that he was killed. So they actually pulled him out, made sure he was killed, and then they vanished. All 12, apparently, all 12 of them vanished unharmed. At least, again, that's according to the report. A police helicopter arrived at the scene, transported Fakhrizada and the injured uh, uh, guards to the hospital, the local hospital, but then they discovered there was no power because the, the Mossad agents or somebody had actually cut the power, and then Fakhrizada's body and the injured were transported all the way to Tehran. But as I said, the Iranian state-controlled news, they denied the story. They say there were no humans involved. They say there was an explosion, but it was a remote control gun, and for some reason, Fakhrizada, even though he knew he was a target, got out of the car after the explosion. Now, of course, the Iranians are going to deny, because the way the story is being reported by all these other news outlets, um, and apparently it was a leak from the Iranian government themselves, it's very humiliating for the Iranians that the Mossad was able to literally take out. This was probably the most highly protected man in Iran other than the Ayatollah and maybe Rouhani. Maybe he was more protected than Rouhani, the scientist. I don't know. And yet the Israelis were able to pull this off. It seems flawlessly. Hassan Rouhani, president of Iran, has vowed revenge. Gee, that's not the first time we've heard him say that. And there is speculation now that President Trump is actually trying to goad Iran into retaliation. As I said, he wa Trump would want, arguably, war to break out with Iran right now because that's his legacy. And, uh, and if Biden 
rejoins the nuclear deal, all that's going to do is possibly just uh, make all of Trump's hard work almost vanish into thin air over these last few years. So Trump would do anything to prevent Biden from rejoining the nuclear deal. And for undisclosed reasons, President Trump last weekend, he ordered several nuclear capable B-52 bombers to fly to the Middle East. And it's not clear why, but there is a lot of speculation around that. All right. So a Pennsylvania court has thrown out one of the lawsuits. This is the lawsuit that uh, was trying to disqualify every mail-in vote in Pennsylvania, and a Pennsylvania court has thrown it out. It's good. It looks like it's going to be appealed, that decision, but they say the legal challenge came too late. This is interesting. They're saying, they're not saying on the merits. They're not throwing this lawsuit. This was the lawsuit not brought by the Trump campaign. This was brought by uh, Republican Congressman Mike Kelly and other uh, Republicans saying that the entire system of universal mail-in ballot is illegal in Pennsylvania because it needed a state amendment. It needed an amendment to the state constitution. It wasn't enough to be passed by the legislature where you could just mail out hundreds of thousands of or millions of mail-in ballots, not by request, not absentee. This is a whole new thing, and they're saying it needs an actual amendment. And it wasn't thrown out based on the merits. It was thrown out because they say that the legal challenge came too late. It should have been brought before the election. So, I mean, now think about this. The system is just so absurd. Here, what? look at the system here with the mail-in ballots. They remove the envelope. They chuck it in the garbage. So there is no record whatsoever. They, they, if the monitors don't catch it at that moment, and they were standing very far, in, far away in a lot of these cases, they weren't allowed to be close. So there's no way to verify signature matches, no way to verify if there even was a signature, the name, nothing. They throw out the envelope and you're done. How absurd, how ridiculous a system is that in an election for the president of the United States, you have no record of what happened. The only record is that envelope. It is thrown out right away. I mean, if we've told you a million times, ripe for fraud, but it's like, how can you call this election legitimate? It, this is what they do in North Korea. This is what they do in Russia and in China and Iran when they hold elections, where there's no way after the fact to determine if the ballots are valid. This is not how you run an election in the United States. They say we're the ones who are on American for questioning the integrity of the election. Whoever heard of an election where you cannot verify it after the fact, you, you can have recounts from today till tomorrow. They're going to count it again and again and again. If hundreds of thousands of these ballots were totally illegitimate, totally fraudulent, I don't care how many times you recount the same fraudulent, fake, phony ballots. Of course, you know, they're saying Trump has not brought proof of fraud. Now, maybe he will, maybe he won't when the court cases take place. But of course, there you can't have proof of fraud because all the proof was thrown in the garbage with these envelopes. And as I said, at the end of the show, I'm going to read you excerpts from an amazing article that was actually sent to me by a listener showing how miraculous it was that Biden won. So miraculous that it's a statistical impossibility or at least highly improbable. So as I said, the Pennsylvania Supreme Court overturned the lower court's decision to suspend the certification of the state's vote for Joe Biden because they said that the lawsuit to the state's vote-by-mail laws came too late. Earlier this week, what happened was Pennsylvania certified its vote for Biden, but then Commonwealth Court Judge Patricia McCullough, she blocked the certification because uh, she upheld an earlier injunction on Friday. She said the challenge to the law, which allowed no excuse vote by mail, violated the state 
Constitution, the Pennsylvania Supreme Court now has overturned Judge McCullough's order, and they say that the constitutional challenge, the challenge to universal ballots, mail-in ballots, or what this Judge McCullough called no-excuse vote-by-mail, um, they, they say that it should have happened before the primaries and before the general elections, not after millions of voters in Pennsylvania already cast their ballots. So again, this challenge was brought by Republican Congressman Mike Kelly and other Republicans. This is separate from the Trump campaign lawsuit. The Trump campaign lawsuit also suffered a loss in the Third, cir- in the third Circuit um, last week. That happened on Friday as well. But the campaign has pledged to appeal that decision to the Supreme Court. Carter, we'll keep you updated, of course, on all the details. Carter Page, Carter Page is suing the Obama FBI, and it's about time. Um, and is he is the timing happening now because they want to make sure to preserve all the documentation before Biden comes in and appoints a, a, a corrupt D, another corrupt DOJ and another corrupt FBI who's going to destroy bury all these documents? I don't know. But Carter Page is suing. The FBI, as he rightfully should, that includes James Comey, Andrew McCabe, Peter Strzok, Lisa Page, and the DOJ for illegally spying on him and for illegally obtaining four FISA warrants to spy on him, an American citizen, and by the way, not to mention somebody who actually worked with the CIA, somebody who was part of the Trump campaign. By the way, Carter Page should should add to that lawsuit Obama and Biden. You got to sue Obama and Biden. They're the ones behind. They're the ones responsible, in my opinion. Uh, for you know, for all that corruption, I mean, shouldn't they be? I, even I, I believe that they were heavily involved. We know about the meetings with Comey and McCabe, and we know about Michael Flynn. But even if they weren't directly involved, I mean, it's their corrupt DOJ and FBI. I mean, at least force them to take the stand, right? Now, uh, Carter Page's fifty-nine page complaint lists defendants who are a veritable who's who of the Spygate scandal. Uh, former FBI Director Comey, as we said, Assistant Director Andrew McCabe, Peter Strzok, Lisa Page, and Kevin Kleinsmith. Remember him? The one indictment, the one indictment that we got out of John Durham. Uh, he, he pled guilty to falsifying an email. He doctored an email which bur- that buried the fact that Carter Page actually served as a source for the CIA, which, of course, justified him being in Russia. So Kevin Kleinsmith doctored it to make it say that he did not serve as a source for the CIA. I mean, he should be paying... Carter Page, millions of dollars in damages or whatever, whatever money he's, he probably doesn't have millions of dollars. The FISA law does allow Americans who are spied on illegally to sue for damages. Candace Owens, the conservative commentator, she was censored by Facebook, of course, because she's conservative and that's what Facebook does to conservatives. Uh, She was threatened by, she was censored, I should say, by PolitiFact, but PolitiFact is a partner of Facebook. They're the ones who do the censoring for Facebook. She threatened to sue. She threatened to bring a lawsuit. And Facebook then retracted and PolitiFact then retracted only after she got lawyers involved. And we look, we've seen this story again and again. So we don't need, we already have all the proof that we need. We know that Facebook, they ban conservatives. They censor conservatives. They tell lies about conservatives. And here we have the story where they actually had to retract it because there was a lawsuit threatened and lawyers got involved. But otherwise... Who knows? Otherwise, they probably would not have retracted it. What Candace Owens said was 100% accurate, not at all controversial. Uh, Facebook doesn't care because they censor conservatives for no other reason except they don't like what they say. What happened was Candace Owens, she put out a video on November 12th talking about the election. And the caption on the video was, Joe Biden is literally and legally not the president-elect, so why is the media pretending that he is? 
So she, what did she say? She said something 100% accurate. Again, you have to see the video, I guess. But she said Biden is legally and literally not the president-elect. Why is the media pretending that he is? The video was given a false rating by PolitiFact working with Facebook. Uh, yeah, it, it's, it's unbelievable. I mean, what was the false content? Joe Biden is not the president-elect. Yes, that's right. Fox News and CNN does not de- get to declare the president-elect, at least not yet. Maybe Biden is going to change that, and Pelosi and Schumer. You know, so they automatically, they censor, they, if somebody says something that they don't agree with or that they find offensive, like Joe Biden is not the president-elect, oh boy, then that's it. They're going to say this is false. They're going to label it false because they not they cannot cope with reality and who knows how many thousands of times this happens and they don't retract i mean we tell you about it all the time ourselves um you know they and 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 what's terrifying about this obviously is that facebook how many people get their news directly from facebook how many people believe that you know when facebook says it's false content they believe that it's false content they actually take facebook at face value so to speak so what's facebook doing they're twisting the facts suppressing the facts they're giving the public a completely fake and distorted reality while they're burying the true reality. I mean, could you think of a greater enemy? All right, Joe Biden, according to reports, Joe Biden may be releasing prisoners from Guantanamo Bay. Here we go again. I mean, we we had a, a break from this. Obama was releasing prisoners left and right from Guantanamo again. You don't make it to Guantanamo for jaywalking, even car theft, or, or, or anything else, by the way. A person has to be literally a, a a terrorist. I mean, a person has to be the most evil, heinous person on the planet to end up in Guantanamo Bay. Uh, and, and think about this. The, the mastermind of 9-11, Khalid Sheikh Mohammed, uh, the mastermind of 9-11, that monster Khalid Sheikh Mohammed, he still has not stood trial. He's still there going through motions and all sorts of loopholes and different hearings. He still has not stood trial for 9-11. He's been in Guantanamo since 2003. I mean, could you think of anything more disgraceful, more egregious than that? So President Trump, what happened was Obama reviewed the cases of, of, of men in Guantanamo, of detainees in Guantanamo, and he released them. He released Guantanamo detainees. Trump, thankfully, stopped that policy. But now liberals are hoping that Biden will resume that policy. Why would he not? I mean, he's that, that's what he's doing is he's resuming all these radical leftist Obama policies. Remember, Obama pledged that on day one in office he would close Guantanamo Bay, but then he became president. And thankfully, he did not actually close, close Guantanamo Bay um, because he actually, even Obama realized, as how radical as he was, that you needed to keep Guantanamo Bay around. But now people who are hoping that it'll close down uh, are hoping the Biden administration will, uh, assuming the Biden administration actually comes to fruition, will actually finally keep that promise, fulfill it, and close Guantanamo Bay. And what happened was, by the way, Obama was planning to release some Guantanamo prisoners into the United States, and Congress stepped in, and Congress barred the transfer of prisoners from Guantanamo to the U.S., thankfully, including for prosecution or medical. Can you imagine bringing these people to U.S. prisons where they can then go and brainwash and indoctrinate other prisoners? I mean, that would have been just horrifying. But um, And by the way, there are some, some advocates right now, detainee advocates, who they say that Joe Biden should defy Congress and still bring Guantanamo prisoners to the United States. They say that that ban that Congress enacted will not stand up in court. So just think about that. All right, a caller asked me, a very loyal listener, he said, where did Trump, I said that Trump messed up with the coronavirus. He says I'm being brainwashed by the media. Where did Trump mess up? And my answer is simple. I'm not going to get into masks right now, and I'm not going to get really into deeply into the coronavirus, but it's very simple. President Trump, very early on, 
And look, any anybody could have probably messed up. This is not something the government is equipped to deal with. But very early on, Trump said that the role of the states, the states were the ones who were going to be uh, tackling the coronavirus. He created the task force, but he said that the federal government, they were going to be the backup. Trump said this. You can go look it up. They were going to be the backup plan. But the states were the ones. It had to be handled on a state-by-state basis. And look, I'm okay with that in terms of when you talk about the actual lockdown, the actual local rules, I'm okay with it being state-by-state because look look at the facts here. I mean, what works for one state does not work for a different state. I mean, different states were dealing with this at different times. You can't have one federal policy that covers all 50 states when you're dealing with a virus that's going state-to-state and that travels and that's erratic and unpredictable. That's fine. But the problem is, here we are so many months later, there's so much the federal government could have done, so many resources, and we know we still know so little about the virus. Look at masks, right? There's this debate about masks. Are they effective? Are they not effective? There's a random study here, random study there. There should have been a massive federal, federally funded study. You should have had, you, we should right now have so much data about this virus, whether it's masks, whether it's hydroxychloroquine. Again, there's a random study here, random study there, but the federal government, they could have, they could have conducted a massive, massive study about hydroxychloroquine that's mixed with zinc and azithromycin, you know, that, uh, that, that cocktail, that famous cocktail that Trump touted. They could know how to treat the virus. You know, when should a person be on a ventilator? When should they not? They discovered at a certain point that a lot of people didn't need to be placed on ventilators and maybe ventilators sometimes even do damage. So many questions about how this thing is transmitted. Is it done through the air? Is it done from surfaces? I mean, there's a million and one questions. We've had this virus in the United States for what? Eight months, eight months, and we still, they know nothing. They can't, there's theories here and there about the cold weather, the warmth, the humidity. Do masks work? Do masks not work? Hydroxychloroquine, you know, now Re- Regeneron now, and, uh, and uh, the, you know, the antibody treatment. How, how, how much of a recurrence is there? Is there a recurrence? How long do antibodies last? Do you realize how many questions, I mean, this is like the United States of America, here we are, the year 2020. Some of the some of the smartest minds on the planet, the smartest scientists, resources like you cannot imagine. They should have data. I mean, they've literally treated, they've literally treated millions of patients at this point around the world, and uh, they've treated hundreds of thousands of patients in the United States. You know how much data has theoretically been compiled about how to treat this thing, how people respond, how it's transmitted. Cold air, warm air. I, I you know, so I mean, uh, is it surface? Is it through? Is is it through the air? Is it through coughing? Is it through sneezing? Is it through breathing? How far does it travel? How far do you have to stay away? And I could go on and masks, as I said, and I can, and I, and I myself am back and forth about masks. You know, the one and it's like, well, you'd think that masks would help, right? I mean, at least certain. I'm not saying that they solve the problem because these these things are microscopic. These germs they can travel through masks, but they also travel on droplets, on respiratory droplets, whatever. We can we can like discuss theoretically from today till tomorrow. But there's a million and one questions. You have a federal government. You have, I mean, literally tens of thousands of uh, 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 of government employees. You have so much data. The doctors are are, are are literally treating this thing day and night for eight months straight. You mean to tell me that the federal government, if Trump hadn't gotten his act together, they couldn't have compiled massive data? They couldn't have literally analyzed hundreds of thousands of cases and determined, well, how did it transmit and uh, how was it treated and what did people respond? I mean, they're just and, and so many studies that could have been conducted, controlled studies. You know, I mean, put you know, take a bunch of people who are all positive for COVID. Take like like two thousand people who we know tested positive for COVID, 
asymptomatic people, let's say, put them in a room, put 1,000 in one room, 1,000 in another room, and see how the stuff spreads or whatever. I don't know, be creative. Well, you'll tell me that doesn't work. Whatever. There are ways. They have a lot of ways to study. This is not like reinventing the wheel. It's not the first time they've ever had to study you know, how viruses get transmitted. And yet they're still clueless. Here we are eight months later and we got Fauci and the, you know, one, one of them yelling at the other and they're, they're disagreeing and nobody can get on the same page. I mean, come on. We have so little data. And I said this. I, you know, I, have, I have a relative who I have a lot of respect for and I said to him, you know, I, I said, why do we not know? And a few few months ago, why do we not know anything? Like it's the year 2020. They, ha- they, they, they have ways of studying any, anything under the sun. Why do we not know a single thing about this virus? And he said to me, well, blame Trump. And this is a, somebody who likes Trump. And he said, well, blame Trump because Trump said, you know what? The federal government, we're going to just step back. We're going we're gonna to be the backup. He's like, he was supposed to take the initiative. He's supposed to be the one organizing. I, and, you know, it hit me. I, my first reaction was, I got to defend Trump on this. And it was indefensible. So that's my issue with Trump in a nutshell. Feel free to disagree, as always. I want, you know, open and honest debate and discourse and disagreement. But to me, it's indefensible. And again, he did a lot of things right. The vaccine. I mean, you talk about warp speed, multiple vaccines. The me- Here's the media touting the vaccine. And by the way, you know how many conservatives said that November 4th, there'd be no COVID? November 4th, it's all going to go. I heard so many conservatives say that. November 4th, we're never going to hear anything about COVID because the media is not going to talk about it because it's only, you know, the media conspiring against Trump. I heard many, many conservatives say that on the radio, on, you know, on media, friends of mine. And I never said that. Go back and listen. I never, ever said that, oh, COVID's going to disappear. I didn't believe it was going to disappear because I believe the media, this is a very real story that the media is not going to, and I can't stand the media, but you know what? Uh, th- this is a real story. This is not something that the media just fabricated as as some you know, really radical people, I think, seem to believe. So, uh, you know, but 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 anyway, yeah. So as far as Trump goes, that is my issue, you know, with with President Trump. He's done a lot of stuff, right? The, the media is touting the vaccine. They're talking about how exciting this is, and they're not giving Trump any credit. And it's all him with the warp speed. So you give him credit. He gets credit for the travel ban. He gets credit for a lot of things. But, 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 but at the same time, they could have done so much more. All right, Bob Mueller is going to do an interview on a podcast, a podcast called The Oath, hosted by Chuck Rosenberg. All right, so here's the here's some excerpts from this piece. It's mostly coming, it mostly comes from the Federalist. Um, and the bottom line of this piece is that Biden had the odds heavily stacked against him. Everything pretty much went in Trump's favor, except for four or five key cities that Biden won that were controlled, wait for it, by Democrats. And that's what made all the difference with those four or five cities. So let me read you some excerpts here. Journalists are strangely lacking curiosity about some mysterious ways Democrat Joe Biden pulled off some electoral jujitsu. According to the Federalist J.B. Shirk, surely the journalist class should be intrigued by the historic implausibility of Biden's victory. Um, he says they are not that they are not curious that they are not is curious, meaning that they're not intrigued by this is curious to say the least. Biden pulled so many rabbits out of his hat to potentially become the oldest elected president in American history. Number one, Biden got 80 million votes. That's the most ever, despite minimal enthusiasm. Joe Biden was so effective of animating voters that he received a record number of votes, more than 15 million more than Obama in 2012, proving how sharp his political instincts are. The former VP managed to gather a record number of uh, I I lost the place here, votes while consistently trailing Trump in measures of voter enthusiasm. Biden was so savvy that he motivated voters unenthusiastic about his campaign to vote for him in record numbers. So they're, end quote, so they're going to say, well, it's because there was mail-in, so it was easier. But it definitely certainly is very, very 
suspicious. Number two, Biden lost in almost every bellwether county across the country, Shirk wrote. No presidential candidate has been capable of such electoral, electoral jujitsu until now. Biden might be the first president in 60 years to lose the bellwether states of Ohio and Florida. Remarkably, Shirk noted, despite national polling giving Biden a lead in both states, he lost Ohio by eight points and Florida by more than three. Even more unbelievably, Biden is on his way to winning the White House after having lost almost every historic bellwether county across the country. The Wall Street Journal and the Epoch Times independently analyzed the results of 19 counties that have nearly perfect presidential voting records over the last 40 years. President Trump won every single bellwether county except Clallam County in Washington, whereas Biden picked up Clallam by about three points. Trump's margin of victory in the other 18 counties averaged over 16 points. In a larger list of 58 bellwether counties that have correctly picked the president since 2000, Trump won 51 by an average of 15 points, 51 out of 58, while the other seven went to Biden by around four points. Bellwether counties overwhelmingly chose Trump, but Biden found a path to victory anyway. And Biden only did better than Hillary in a few cities. That's number three. Guess which ones? Quote, Biden underperformed Hillary in every major metro, underperformed in every metro, major metro area, save for Milwaukee, Detroit, Atlanta, and Philadelphia. Coincidentally, those are major cities and key battleground states the Trump campaign has questioned and sought to contest with legal challenges of voter fraud. Wisconsin, Michigan, Georgia, and Pennsylvania, the electoral college votes in those states are ultimately deciding this election. And number four, Republicans gained around the country. Republicans gained around the country, yet Biden soared. It was a Biden miracle, Shirk noted, that Trump might lose re-election despite his Republican Party gaining House seats. There were 27 House toss-ups, but Republicans not only won them, they appeared to have swept them all. Uh, Democrats failed to flip a single state House chamber, while Republicans flipped both the House and Senate in New Hampshire and expanded their dominance of state legislatures across the country. Amazingly, Biden beat the guy who lifted all other Republicans to victory. Now, isn't that historic? That's going to do it for today, and we will see you next time.